The U of T civil engineering professor Shoshana Sachs joins us now. She is one of the authors of this study. Nice to have you on the show. Good morning. Okay, so first of all, I guess we should talk methodology, because what you wanted to do was measure where people are driving and how frequently. And so how did you do that? Well, we were using two different types of data to look at where uh, people are biking frequently. So one is Strava counts. So Strava is an app where people can record their bicycling routes and they pull together all of that information from all of their users, anonymize it and make it available to researchers to see where in cities and on what roads people are cycling. And then we also used other data that we've developed in-house that categorizes all of the streets in the city of Toronto as very friendly for cycling, reasonably friendly for cycling, kind of scary for cycling, and really, really scary for cycling. Okay. And what did you find? I mean, one of the conclusions is that an awful lot of the traffic is on a very few select number of routes. Well, I wouldn't categorize it that way. There's very little infrastructure for cycling in Toronto. And what we found is where there is infrastructure, we see a lot of people cycling. And as you would expect, cycling is heavily concentrated on the places where people feel the safest. So that was the one, one of the main things we found is really we do see a big concentration, but also in places where there are holes in the network, people tolerate a huge amount of cycling stress. I mean, places where you feel really likely like you might get hit by a car to get to better cycling locations or to get to destinations that they are important to them. And in places in the city where there isn't a lot of infrastructure, people tolerate that more often. Did you account for whether or not the creation of a bike lane actually induces more people to to get onto our city streets on bikes? We didn't in this study, but we've done that in other places and in other studies that we've published before. And we find unequivocally that there's a big unmet demand for cycling. And so when their safe infrastructure appears, cyclists come out of the woodwork um, because cyclists are just people. And when you feel like you're not going to die, it makes it a lot more likely that you'll take Um, take your bike out. You may know that uh, bike lanes, dedicated bike lanes, are not particularly popular amongst talk radio listeners who all tend to be in their cars. So I wonder about the assertion in some circles that we should be putting bike lanes on side roads, but not clogging up, you know, something like university or uh, young with a bike lane. Yeah, well, you can imagine since I do this kind of research, I get these questions a lot at parties. People often want to talk to me about this. And there's a couple of things that I would point out. Cars take up quite a bit of space, right? Much, much more space than a bike. And the last thing someone who wants to drive or needs to drive to be, is to be stuck beside some, behind someone in a car who would much rather be on a bike lane. Bike lanes have high use, low space. And I know it feels when you're in traffic, like the bike lanes are clogging up your road, but it's actually cars that are clogging up the roads. Bike lanes carry more people faster in less space. And while that may not feel popular, we found it over and over again in our studies, other people have found it in theirs. The popularity of the fact, unfortunately, doesn't change its truth. So then the question becomes, how can we make sure that as many people as possible can get around the city as quickly as possible? And for that, we have to make all modes work, because if everybody relies on cars, then everyone will be stuck in traffic. The number one thing you want if you want to drive is that people who don't want to drive don't have to. What about the argument that people also raise where they say, well, you know, eight months of the year, it's not even cyclable in Toronto, which I would dispute because I bike in the winter. But, um, you know, again, I'm posing the questions that always come to me. 
Yeah, that's a fair question. Again, not held up by the data. When we check, we find that people cycle all year round. And again, it has a lot to do with infrastructure. If there's infrastructure and you feel like you're not going to die, you're much more likely to cycle. If the cycle lanes are full of snow and not plowed, then people use them less. But Toronto, I mean, looking out the window right now, I can see cyclists going by my office. You know, it's not a non-cycling day in Toronto. So just because some people might find it cold doesn't mean people are actually not using the infrastructure. And I don't know if it's covered in this study, but in your work, um, I wonder how we apportion the purpose of people riding bikes. So, you know, there's recreation. Um, there are people who commute to work, obviously. I think I'm a very typical cyclist. I mean, I do it recreationally, but I drive to the office and I drive home again. And then if I have to go to the grocery store or run errands, I do all that stuff on a bike. Yeah. So in this study, we looked at all trips with the idea being that no matter why you're riding a bike, you shouldn't get killed being the basic theory. So if you're riding a bike for exercise or for groceries or for going to work. In other studies, we have looked at specifically work-based trips, um, as have other people. And in parts of the city where there is good cycling infrastructure, you see you know, 30% or more of people biking to work. If you can get to grocery stores without having to take a dangerous ride, lots of people buy their groceries that way. One of the dominant things that has been found in cycling infrastructure, not just by us, but by people all over the world, is that if it's safe to ride, if you can get where you're going, lots and lots of people choose it because it's cheap, it's fast, it's convenient. And is there sort of, a, in your estimation, I guess a sweet spot in terms of how many dedicated bike lanes we might need? And when we get to the point where we're creating lanes that nobody's going to be using? We haven't seen that. I think in Toronto, we are so far away from it that it hasn't even come up in the conversation. At the moment, there's so much unmet demand for cycling that we could be building cycling lanes at two, three times the rate we're building now and would still not um, be fully meeting that demand. In places in the world where there's a lot of cycling infrastructure, you see the same thing, right? The bike lanes get full and you have to build more yeah. because so many people would prefer to choose a safe, cheap, easy way to get around than a car, which is very expensive, as once it is safe for them to do so. Yeah, well, Paris has gone nuts over cycling. Yeah, and um, Paris just a few years ago was very car dominated, and now it, many major streets are majority bike. Thanks a lot for this. Very interesting to talk with you this morning. Thank you for having me. U of T civil engineering professor Shoshana Sachs. Andrew Clark writes a column today about gridlock in Toronto. I love the headline. If Toronto can't improve its world-class traffic, it will decay into a gridlocked carcass. And he's writing about the stats that came out, I think it was just last week, that said we had the third worst traffic in the world. And that was the measure was how long it takes you to cover 10 kilometers. And then he says, being told your city has the third slowest traffic in the world is like being told you have high blood pressure. If you ignore it and do nothing, it will eventually kill you. That's how we get to the whole carcass thing.